0: this is Pastor Rick. Welcome to All Demand, my favorite of all options in the world. You can get the word when you want to. You don't have to worry about somebody preparing it for you. You can cook it up yourself, and I'm glad you're with me today. I have a, a list of questions I'm going to deal with today about money. This is a series that has been so helpful to so many because it answers practical questions, but today I am going to get down into some questions people ask about money that you don't want to miss. So sit back, buckle up, and watch this and may it lift your life. Enjoy. Well, I'm really glad you're back today. This is one of my favorite things in the world to do, people, is answer questions. I love q and A. I I wish you were here with me. I wish we can get together in person, but pretend we are just you and I, and we're going to talk about questions people ask about money. This is an important, important part of our discussion. We've been looking at the truth about where we are, and taking a hard look at how we got to where we are and looking at some of the things that we've done in our lives, and especially in the area of finances. And so in talking about money and talking about finances, some people get really nervous and they start saying things like, I don't know if I want to talk about money. Well, you know, okay. Then, you know, you're going to stay broke. You're not going to do well if you can't talk about it. You need a place to talk about your spiritual life a place to talk about your relationships, a place to talk about your money. And I want to be a place where you can talk about money in a safe place. And, and for church people in particular, religious people, it's really hard for them. And I think that's why it's hard for God to get them to certain places of prosperity. Certain, certain opportunities can't happen because they can't have mature conversations. And so what I've been asking you to do is take an honest, truthful look at where you are. That's the question for the year, right? What is the truth you keep running from that you need to stop and face? And one of the things you need to face is you need to face your money. And so this month I've been talking about that. What's the truth about your money? What's the truth about where you are? And I, I, I think the question I'm going to answer will help reveal some of the truth to you. It will help you see one of the most important principles in life. God wants you happy. Jesus said, I come to give you life and give you life more abundantly. But that doesn't work if you don't deal with the basics in your life, the things that can make your life not so wonderful. And that is the truth. So let me begin with a question I ended with last time we were together. Somebody asked me, somebody said, Hey, can you show me where the poor people are in the Bible and where the people that had a hard time financially are in Scripture? And one of the most surprising things in studying the Bible is, for, and this, i going to say two things. One is kind of off the topic, another one's on the topic. But I was surprised to know that in the Bible, I'm studying burnout uh, in my doctoral research. And I found that there are not a lot of burned out people in the Bible. Most of the people in the Bible didn't burn out. That's another subject. But I just thought that was interesting. Interesting People tended to be full of faith and trust God. And Hebrews chapter 11 gives a long list of people who had trouble, but they, ha- they all had faith. The, the common link was Abraham believed God. Adam and Eve believed God. Uh, Abel believed God and offered the right sacrifice. Cain was the only guy who didn't. You go through the Bible, you see this constant model of faith. People who rose above their unbelief and trusted God. You also have the same issue when it comes to looking for somebody in the Bible who was broke. Now, there are poor people in the Bible. The Bible talks talk about the widow's mite. And when I was talking about this with somebody the other day, they mentioned the widow's mite and they mentioned, you know, the poor people in Jerusalem. You're, you're, you will find poor people, people in the Bible. But when you look at the main characters from Genesis through, to Revelation, you find a lot of prosperity. You find a lot of business people. You find people who have a handle on their money. And I I thought it'd be fun to just mention a few of them to you so you can kind of go back. And I mentioned a little bit of it last week. Adam and Eve had a planet. You know, he gave them the garden. They had no mortgage, no bills, no lights, nothing. These folks were pretty much like, you know, financially free. They didn't need money. So when God started out, his plan was that he would free, he would start them out as free people. Bondage is a culture for us. We're used to debt. We're used to being in bondage. That is not normal in scripture at all. As a matter of fact, to be really honest with you, it wasn't that normal in America until the 1980s. That's when it really took off. It started in the 70s, but in the 1980s, it's debt took off in a way that's like this. Incredible. And we've learned to live in bondage. We're used to being tight. We're used to mortgaging our future. We're used to that. But Adam and Eve, th- those were, th- if you're looking for it in the Bible, you can't find it in their life. Number two, Noah, he built the ark out of his own money. I love that truth. In, in Genesis chapter six, this is the guy. God tells him to build the ark, and you want to go? Uh, excuse me, who's going to pay for that? He said, "You are. You are. You are out of your out of your harvest. I want you to build the ark out of your money. Reimburse you later." But that's what God did. Number three, Abraham. The Bible says, "I love this verse." Genesis chapter thirteen, verse two. Abraham became had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. Wow. He's not described as a poor guy. I know in your mind you think of Abraham living in a tent and all that, but this is a guy who had a lot going on, 300 and some uh, servants working for him. Amazing story. Then you got Jacob, right? The Bible says in chapter 30, verse 43, that he was exceedingly prosperous. That's how he's described. And he had large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. That's how the Bible describes him. Jacob. That's right. The guy who gave Joseph, his son, the coat of many colors. Some people think that, well, the brothers were jealous of Joseph because he gave Joseph the coat of many colors and nobody else. Well, he had enough money to buy everybody a coat. He could have been like Oprah. You get a coat. You get a coat. You get a coat. Get a coat. Money wasn't the issue. One of the most amazing facts about Jacob that I thought was fascinating. If you remember the story that when jo- Joseph, when Jacob, I'm uh, no, sorry, when Jacob's sons came to buy food from their brother, they didn't, in Egypt. And remember, Joseph was the brother they sold into slavery. When they, and, they, and when they came to buy food, Joseph was over the food. And they didn't recognize it because it had been 13 years. They hadn't seen him in 13, 13, 13, let me see, count 70, 17 when he went into slavery and he stayed and he's 30 when he became in charge, 13, and it's longer than that. And then three and a half years, this, it had been 13 plus 3. That's 16 plus years that they hadn't seen him. That's right. Because they came in the middle. Well, longer than that. My goodness. Whoa. Back up the train. Let me do my math here. 17 when he went into uh, slavery. Okay. Joseph did. And so he, he became uh, the second in charge of Israel, uh, Egypt when he was 30. That's 13 years. Right. And then there were seven years of plenty. So 17 plus 3 is, we're at 20, right? Boy, this math's about to get bad, people. 20. Then he had three and a half years, seven years of famine. Those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, just hang with me. So, we're talking about a guy who is probably 23. He's probably 43 years old when he sees his brothers. It's been 23 years or so, 23 and a half years before he sees his brothers. And when they see him, they don't know it's him. And so, Joseph's brothers all of a sudden come to see if they can buy food 23 years since they saw their brother. Oh, my goodness. What a long time. 23 years. So imagine with me these brothers who are Jacob's sons coming to buy food from their brother 23 years since he's been gone. This is amazing. And then they come with money to buy because the Bible says that when Joseph's brothers came to buy food, it was in the middle of the, the famine. Three, I'm sorry, yeah, the famine. The famine had lasted for three and a half years. And after three and a half years of living in the famine, they came to buy, they came to buy food. They didn't come broke. Two great observations. One is the brothers had enough food in a famine to last for three and a half years before they needed to resupply. My goodness. That meant that (laughs) they had three and a half years of supply and when they did come, they brought a whole bunch of money to buy more. They were not broke people, that's my point. Jacob's family was not broke. It's hard to find a broke person in the Bible. Now I know that's a bit long for you, but hang with me. I'm trying to make a point. This is a phenomenal example of how they lived. The Bible said it. The guy in Genesis 30, 14, he grew exceedingly prosperous. So you have Adam and Eve, you have Noah, you have Abraham, you have Jacob, right? All prosperous people. Now, number five, Joseph. The Bible said in chapter 41 of Joseph, chapter 41, verse Genesis 41 and 40, you shall be in charge. This is what he's told after he's made king. He's 30 years old. You shall be in charge of of my palace and all my people are to submit to you your orders only with respect to the throne. Will I be greater than you? What an incredible story. So all of that is to say you just have a hard time finding in the Bible. You can keep going. Moses, you can keep going. You do find people that weren't, quote, filthy rich, but you just don't find a bunch of poor, godly people in the Bible. There are some, but you don't find, you know, Nehemiah, keep going. Esther, keep going. I mean, you just don't find a whole bunch of people that couldn't buy bread in the Bible that were godly people. So my point is to answer the question I was asked originally, can you show me poor people in the Bible? Yes, it can. But there are not a lot of them. There's enough. Enough. uh, One is too many. I don't need you to send me a list, okay? There's, 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 you can find a dozen, two dozen, but my point is the main characters in the Bible, most of them were prosperous. And they were, they were people who understood the power of making money. They were people who understood that you have to, to make things happen. Abraham, these guys were farmers. Almost all of them were. All of them worked the farm. They understood the power of sowing and reaping. They understood the power of giving and saving and waiting for the rainy day and stirring up the harvest. They understood all of that because that's how they lived. And so... I want you to just look at yourself. Next time you say, I want to be like, like they are in the Bible, be like this. I am still overwhelmed by the fact that Jacob's family could live for three and a half years during a famine and they didn't need to come buy food until after three and a half years of famine. And then they came with money. They were, they were, they were that was amazing to me. And I pray God help me. Help me not be afraid of of storage. Help me not be afraid to save. Help me not be afraid. Help me live, get past the idea that I'm supposed to have just enough. It's okay to have abundance. Don't need to worship money. Don't need to get lost in it like I think some people have. But I want to be clear, God, it's okay for me to receive your harvest in my life so that I don't live in a state of constant need, constantly praying for a miracle. God didn't want me to do that. So next question people ask me. You ready? All right, here you go. How important is it to save for retirement in your later years? Crucial. And I just talked about that and implied it. It's important because you never know when hard days are going to come. Next question. Why is using credit cards not wise in your opinion? I've been asked about that a lot. My answer is very simple. It traps your future. If you use credit cards, if you're tied up with credit cards, you're going to have a future that is uh, suspect. The reason they establish credit cards, and I I have all of them, I understand understand how they work. I understand, believe me, I do. But I, I realize that the people who put it together, and I said this to you last week, they're smarter than you. They understand that your tendency is to not pay things off. Your tendency is to spend more than you know. Credit cards lie to you and say you're richer than you are. They lie to you, especially if you can't pay them off, I say, within the week that you use them, not the month. That's just something I just believe in now because I've seen the trap. You need to get it out of your hand. It's the devil in your pocket if you don't manage it right. And if you're doing balance transfers, if you're going through all of these different techniques to kind of keep yourself looking like you're prosperous, you need to deal with this, get rid of it. If you can't be disciplined with it, stop using them. Use a debit card, something that's going to help you live in the present. Keep your money uh, where it's behind you, not in front of you, dragging you. You want to be careful. Churches do it. They do it with mortgages. Sometimes they do it with uh, overextending themselves, buying equipment they can't afford. I'm not saying you can't. I believe in debt. I want to be clear about this. I believe in debt, debt that's responsible and debt that advances my cause. I don't believe in having debt that controls me and limits my options and mortgages my future so that every time I'm paid, here's when I know I'm in trouble. I'm, I'm, I'm paying on a card, just the interest. I'm not able to pay it off. That tells me I'm in a dangerous place. And if I'm in that place, I need to work to get out of that place because that's not healthy for me. And I know some of you are there and I understand. I have been a, <laughs> I've been a believer for years in the, in, in the power of credit. I have used it. I understand it. I get it. But I also understand it's a trap. And I've learned that the best plan is to bring myself into a cash position and not live on credit cards. I understand leveraging, I understand investing, I understand buying real estate, I understand all that stuff, I understand the power of doing that. But all that needs to be done within a, within a context that doesn't make you use specifically credit cards. When you start using credit cards to pay your normal expenses, you're in trouble. And you need to pause and say, God, help me, help me find my way out of this and get to a place where you will be cash and you won't be living on credit cards. One of the things that's interesting, when you, you look at your FICO score, and which is the score that... Um, and let me just stop. Paul. I want to pause it for a second. Some, some of you may say, what are you doing? I'm trying to help you. I'm asking questions that try to help you. Some of you are so spiritual and you, you're so close to God, but your money is a mess. So I want to hear you talk about Jesus. I, I want to hear you talk about the word of God. I, I want you to preach about coming to Christ. Well, you already say, right? Good. That's not we don't need to talk about that. We need to talk about, to talk about how your life needs to get in line. You want me to spend all my time talking about stuff that's heaven? Jesus is coming back soon and, and on the cloud? Well, yeah, but before he get here, you need to deal with your issues. We're talking about right now in your life. The right now in your life issues that you're facing. And one of them is stuff like this. Credit card usage. Going out here, you know, you go to these places and I'm not against them. You go there and they tell you, you know, how well, um, you know, we'll we'll we'll. we'll do you want a credit card for our, 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 our company? You go to I won't name the store, but you go to all the them ask you, do you want to get a credit card? If you get a credit card, then you're going to spend 30 percent more money. You are a victim. You're saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, Bible carrying, love Jesus, dance in the spirit, fall out in the spirit, church going, nice person who's financially in a mess. And that's not God's will. That's not the will of God. It's not the will of God for churches to be begging like they do. It's not the will of God. But the reason we're there is because we don't have our money in line. All I'm saying is hear these questions, consider these options, and let's take a look at how we can fix our lives. That's why these questions were asked. People want to know, how do I get free? What should I do? Well, Here's how you, here's how, here's how you do it. Yeah, you face them, you tell yourself the truth, and you deal with it. So next question. Why, so the question was, why is using credit cards not wise in your opinion? Because it traps you and it, and, and it, traps, you, it traps your future. If, if you're using them on a regular basis to pay your regular bills and you're not paying it off, you are in a trap and you, you've got to get out of that. We've got to pray you out of that. Work your way out of it. Number three. Now, next question, brother. When is it a good time to retire from working? I'm asked that a lot. Well, <clears throat> when you're relationally, emotionally and financially ready. Sometimes it's not good for you to retire because the relationships you're in, where you are in your life, it's just not a good time to do it. For your marriage, it's not good for your kids. Where your relationships are, you have responsibilities, you can't retire right now. Sometimes emotionally it's not good. You need to keep busy. If you retire and sit around and look around, you're going to become a a, a sad, depressed person. Sometimes you need to stand there for a little longer just for the emotional side of it. And sometimes financially, you just can't afford it. You're not ready. You're not ready. It's just the money, the numbers don't make sense. Hold on. Keep working and you'll be OK. Don't do it before you should. Next question I'm asking is this. How should you invest <laughs> out this and help your grown children? How should you invest and help your grown children? Well, I'm going to give you some three things I want you to invest in your grown children. you ready. Number one, invest knowledge. First, teach them. And I don't mean sit down and lecture like they're children, but make a point to share the the knowledge. A lot of times grown kids don't do well because they're not taught how to do well. And you don't share your business. They don't know anything about your finances, your bills. You never invited them into the family business, so they don't know how would they know how to manage their money. And you're frustrated because they're asking you for money, but you never showed them how to manage money. We've always made it a point to, to, guide our kids. That's why back to the Jacob example, Jacob's, Jacob had 12 sons, right? Notice then when you, when you study the life of Joseph, all 11, 11, I think so those guys came to buy food. They were all involved in the family business. They all understood how to make money. They all understood how to go buy. They, they understood we don't invite, our kids are not involved and they're not involved together. So a lot of times the problem is kids don't know what to do. They're, they're never shown. I, I always tell parents, I'm a big believer in allowances. That's just me. Um, and I, I just believe you can't manage nothing. And so, you know, kids sometimes get money for doing things. That's fine. However you want to do it. So I know I got friends who have these creative ways, you know, their kids have to clean up their bed. They get $10 or whatever. That's fine. If you want to do it that way. I believe however you do it, the bottom line is if you don't learn to manage something, you'll, you won't know how to manage anything. If you don't, you have not given something to manage. And sometimes kids don't have the means to gather money. So you're giving them a dollar here, five dollars here. That's not knowledge. You need to show them how. Teach them how to manage money. And then give them resources. So you give them knowledge, resources. They got to have some kind of money. And then here's the last thing you got to give them, time. You got to spend time with them. You can't just give them money and you can't just give them knowledge. You have to spend time. They have to be around you, see how you manage your life, see how you live your life. There's something about that investment that makes a huge difference in their lives. Next question people ask me is this. When should you stop helping your grown children? (laughs) When should you stop? Ready? Okay. when it becomes a bad investment and it doesn't work. When it's a bad investment, we're not connecting and it's not working. Pastor Rick, when is that? well, I mean, you you tried to give them this and then they just wasted it. So we need to have a come to Jesus meeting. We need to talk about this because if you keep doing it, you're, you're not helping them. It's not working. But I really believe in families banding together. One of the biggest reasons for poverty is because of the lack of family unity, family banding together. And sometimes, you know, if you're not careful, you'll say, well, it's because of my ethnic group. That's why we don't have anything. Sometimes that's true. There could be some racism and other dynamics that could affect your life or, or, or sexism or, or classism. A lot of isms can affect your money. I know that. Some things you didn't do. But sometimes it's because the temples didn't get together and the temples didn't try to invest in teaching their kids. And the temples didn't invest resources. The temples just basically fed the kids, housed the kids and sent them out in the world hoping they'd be OK financially. Well, you never taught them anything they can't be okay so be clear when you talk about investing in them I personally think that's the best thing you could ever do but you have to be honest when I've invested and it's not working you are still laying on the couch you're still not trying to get a job you're still not doing anything this plan is not working we have to renegotiate this plan hope that helps you here we go next question this uh, is this interesting. Somebody said, you seem to be doing well financially. Have you ever felt any financial pressure? Here's a big word. Absolutely. Now, I want to put that word on the screen. Ready? Ready? Absolutely. <laughs> of course I have. Are you kidding? Man, don't let me fool you. Pastor Rick, look like your life is really going pretty good there, boy. Yes, sir. But I'm telling you. I often feel the pressure on the left, on the right, on the side. What I have learned is the power of saving and the power of not owing people, not making payments. Pay the car off, learn to drive a paid-off car. Learn the power of not using your credit cards, having them be at zero. Learn the power, and God bless you, to pay down that mortgage, to pay it off, move in that direction. Get yourself in a position where you have more than a month's worth of reserve, more than two months, more than three months. Get yourself to a place where you can have some resources so in case something happens, you're not not under the gun. But I have felt the pressure. I've overgiven. Let me say, I have overgiven, overspent, and and felt good about it. And it wasn't wise. But I have learned. And that's the truth. And that's what this series is about, facing the truth and looking at yourself, saying, okay, I'm not going to do that again. So here's another question people ask me. What do you think? Why do you think God asked people to give tithes and offerings? Malachi chapter three, verse 10 is one of the great verses. Uh, and this is the last question, by the way. Uh, there is a, uh, a lot. If you Google tithing, there, you're going to run across a lot of different opinions. And, and I always say this. Most people who are against tithing are not managing a ministry. They're basically just not wanting to give up their money. Most people who are anti-tithing, who write these articles on the internet and who put all this stuff out there and twist the Bible around, they just aren't responsible for anything. So they're not trying to raise money or trying to fund a ministry. So it doesn't matter. Tithing, I believe, and offering were put together to fund God's vision for the world, to help us reach out to people and make a difference, to provide meat, the Bible calls it, in the house. Let me read it to you. Malachi chapter three, and this is the last question for the day. Malachi three and 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And let me stop right there. The word tithe, not tithes. You know, people say tithe. I'm bringing my tithes to the Lord. No, no, no. Tithe. The word tithe means tenth. There was a specific percentage that God gave them to give. And here's why. Because they wouldn't pick the right percentage. Generally, they go too low. Or in my case, too high. I gave too much. That's true. I did. I gave a third of my money for years and I didn't have to do that. I, du- I double tithed for years, plus gave a whole lot of the money away. I, I, I over gave. You can overgive. Yeah, you can do too much because you, you're, not, you're not, you know, God didn't ask you to do that. But God told Israel the first 10th. So you, you have, you know, if you have 100 cows, you give 10 of them to God and you live off the ninety. That's how it was established. Here's what he said. Bring all the whole tithe into the storehouse. Why? Here's the, here's the answer to the question. That there may be food in my house. So we'd have money. That's why. That's why. I, it's very simple. Not, nothing hard. We're trying to reach people. We're going to ban our money together so we can all have money. We can, we can, all, we can do this work together. I want Israel to have enough to feed the poor. I want Israel to have enough to survive. So I want you guys, everybody participate. Nobody's a looky-loo watching. I want everybody to participate. And I want you to participate at this level. He gives them a boundary. This I give God whatever I want. Well, you know, okay. I hope you reap what you sow. You give whatever you want. Are you saying if I don't tithe, God doesn't love me? No, God loves you no matter what you give. Because he died on the cross when you didn't give him anything. You didn't give him any reason to save you. Jesus doesn't love you because you do what he says. Jesus loves you because he loves you. I'm simply saying when it comes to money, the Bible teaches a principle of tithing. Now, I love this argument. Well, that's in the Old Testament. Well, a whole lot of things in the Old Testament. Psalm 23, but you quote that. You, you, you always talk <laughs> you're talking about you're singing out of the book of Psalms. You pick and choose the part of the Old Testament you don't like. When it comes to your money, you don't like tithing when it comes to your money and because you're not over anything and because you're sitting there with your theological knowledge and you're spinning around and talking about you 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 pick and choose on things pick and pick things that you think will cost you something but the bible teaches tithing the bible teaches honoring god first it does now i understand you don't have to do it nobody's gonna make you do it and i've learned that a lot of people don't and i understand that until they need something from god and then they come and ask God for a million dollars less than with a business. Open the door for me. I don't see why he should. What's in it for him? What you get is for you, right? It's all yours. When you get your thousand dollars, you pay. Hey, so, hey, it's my thousand dollars. Praise God. Right. But what you, what you want God to give you a whole lot, but you don't want to help him do anything. Your money is for you. That's not how you make it. I like what rich people say oftentimes. Pay it forward. So see, give, give, be, be a generous giver. And see, I believe when you have money, it's not a problem when you have resources. Your tithing, it should be off of your abundance. It shouldn't be out of your need. You, that's the goal to get you to a place of abundance where it's not, it's not an issue. You know what I'm think about it. The same thing with saving money, it shouldn't be an issue. Saving, I, I believe in what I call the 10, 10, 20, 30 rule. You say, you honor God first with 10 percent. That's my little statement. Then you honor yourself with at least 10%. And if you're doing real good, you do 20% or 30%. So you honor God, right? Then you honor yourself second. And then you, if you're doing really good, you don't need the money, you save another, make it 20%. And if you're doing really, really good, you save 30%. I call it the 10, 10, 20, 30 rule. That's what I call it. So when I get money, I know what I'm going to do right away. I know I'm going to honor God and I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save at least 10%. There's something about having a plan, a system, and God says, let me give you a plan. See, God knows, man, that's why he gave him a Bible, plan, a strategy, because he knows we'll be all over the map. That's why doctrine's important. What you believe is important, being specific. So let me move on. I got to get out of here. Oh, boy, my time's up. Here you go. So he said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such blessings that there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent Pest from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord. And some of you me well, go. I don't know if I believe in that. That's fine. But I believe in it, and I believe something. Honor God first. Can't go wrong. For some of you, this is a big thought because all your life you've never you never thought about it. But there's a blessing in honoring God in your tithing, honoring God in your giving. Some you said, well, I ain't got 10%. Well, start with something. Start with 2%. Start with something. Start where you are. I'm in so much debt, I can't give but 1%. Start with 1%, but be consistent. And I believe if you pray and say, God, I'm giving 1%, I'm honoring 1%, well, let me, let me, let me give what I can. God will bless you to get to 2%. And you might say, well, can I divide up my tithing? Can I just get like 10 over here and 10 over there? Well, I, the, the, the statement in the text says, you honor God so that the storehouse, what's your storehouse? Where's the place that you're fed? This is my storehouse. So I sow my seed here first and then I sow seed beyond that. Now I give beyond that 10%, but my first is where I live, the place I'm fed and nurtured. Where is that place? Let me say, I don't know. Well, find a place like that, a place you believe in that's doing work that, that you believe in. And, and let your 10% be there and then anything above that, but have a storehouse. And I think you need to have a storehouse. Well, man, i mean, I'll tell you what, I've said a lot today, time's up, I gotta really go. I really appreciate you being with me today. These are questions that people ask about money. I hope they helped you. There's a lot more I can say. If you got questions you wanna ask me about, email me at pastor at overcomingbyfaith.org. That's pastor at overcomingbyfaith.org. I do respond and I want you to know that I care about you. And I want you to know that when it comes to money, we tried our best this month to talk about how your money can, can be a blessing if you honor God, honor yourself, make some hard decisions, and tell the truth about your money. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray for them today that what we've talked about in this series would have been helpful and uplifting. I pray that all the things we talked about would inspire them, and I pray they wouldn't be offended by it. I pray that open their hearts. If they don't have the money to give, God, you know that, but I pray they would begin to pray for the money to give that they would begin to lift their hearts. I pray for their families to get out of credit card debt. I pray they'd be free financially. And I pray they'd have abundance, not just so they can just go show off, but so they can be free. And I declare that in their life, in Jesus' name, amen. I pray you were blessed by the questions. I hope they answer some of your questions. I pray that God would prosper you. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for those who watched today. May every question we've talked about bring life and strength to them. I thank you for the difference you make and I give you all the praise. May you prosper them in their lives in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you next time. I have more to say. You don't want to miss the next series. It's really good. I'll see you then. Bye-bye.